John chapter 21. I really want you to see these verses, and uh, if you don't have your Bible, man, I want to encourage you to bring it. Uh, we have some Bibles in, in the uh, seat back there, seat back pocket, I feel like the flight attendant. Look there in the seat back pocket and get your Bible, but uh, uh, if you'll open up uh, your Bible to John chapter 21, two weeks ago, last week we were blessed to have our missionaries and our mid-year missions emphasis, uh, but two weeks ago we began this, this lesson, and I really don't, I typically don't do a part two, a part one. If I do a series, I'll do a series, but I typically don't do a two-part message. I don't like to stop in the middle, but there was, there was some things that I wanted to cover, and I knew that I wasn't going to have time the first week, and so here we are with part two of He's Alive, Now What? And two weeks ago, if you remember, uh, and you were here, we discussed how Peter and the other disciples in the beginning of John chapter 21, Peter and the other disciples had gone back to doing what was familiar. They had gone back to doing what was comfortable. If you remember, Jesus told them to go into Galilee and wait up on a mountain and he would come and see them, but they disobeyed, actually. They went and Peter says, you remember we talked about a couple weeks ago and I was joking with you, he says, I go a-fishing. And all the rest of the, the disciples that were there, they said, yeah, we go with you. And they went and they caught nothing all night. And then we see a couple weeks ago, Jesus is standing on the shore. He asked them if they have any meat. And they say, no. He says, hey, why don't you throw that net on the other side of the boat and see what happens. They catch 153 fish. But when they come to shore, they realize it's the Lord. When they come to shore, they, under, they see that the Lord has already provided the fire. He's already, for their comfort, he's already provided the fish. The fish are already on the grill. Everything's already ready. He's got, ready. He's got bread. Everything is there. And so what we saw and we talked about a couple of weeks ago was the fact that self-sufficiency leads to insufficiency. See, I'm not sufficient in, above, in and of myself. And that's a danger for all of us. A lot of times, even like the disciples, we get this idea, we get this mentality that says, hey, I can do it. No, you can't. You can't. And so it, and that's the reminder from lesson one because when we looked at the story, Jesus, he's on the, he's on the shore. He's revealing his supernatural knowledge. He's revealing his supernatural power. When they sit down and have breakfast with him, he's revealing the fact that his body, his body is real. They're sitting there having this dialogue. He's not just an aberration. He's not some kind of figment of their imagination. This is a real being sitting there talking with them. And uh, I summed up our time by reminding each of us that when we understand that Jesus Christ is Lord, and when, not only when we understand, but when we take hold of him, and we understand that he's alive, that our response, you remember I said a couple of weeks, our response should be just like those disciples. They obeyed him. When he said, take the net and cast it on the other side, they immediately threw the net on the other side. They not only obeyed him, but once they recognized the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, as soon as they throw the net over on the other side of the boat and they start catching fish, he says, it's the Lord. Because he remembers how the Lord had worked before in their life, right? They immediately, Peter, I don't know what's going on. He puts his coat back on and he jumps in the water and the rest of them, they make haste for the shore. And so when we understand who Jesus is, when we take a hold of the fact that he is alive, when we understand that he is real, that he has supernatural power and supernatural uh, uh, knowledge and abilities that we could ever, that we could access and make use of in our life, man, we ought to respond just like the disciples. But this morning I want to conclude this, this message with lesson number two from this Discipleship 101 lesson that we saw on the shore here 
in the Sea of uh, Galilee. And so I want to give you the lesson, lesson number two, and then we're going to talk about it. So if you're a note taker, here it is. A couple weeks ago it was self-sufficiency leads to insufficiency. Today I want you to simply understand that love, love is essential for life and service. Love is essential for life and service. That's the only point. You guys are like, great, it's time for lunch. We're going to head on out of here. But let's talk about it for a second, all right? Because here's what I know. Most Christians actually like to identify themselves with Peter. Why do we like to identify with Peter? Because we're a lot like Peter. We're a lot like Peter. We identify with him because we're a lot like, like him. You know, uh, I was reading a commentary and it was uh, John MacArthur who said this about Peter. He said, Peter was a man who overestimated himself and underestimated his temptations. Does that sound like us? Sometimes I think we get a little big for our britches. My granddaddy used to say that to me when I was a little kid. He said, uh, Big John. They called me Big John. My name's Greg. I don't know why they called me Big John. It was like... It was like my nickname growing up. They called me Big John. I was like, who's John? And they were like, you, you know. And he'd say, Big John, don't let your britches, don't let your mouth overload your britches. Right? Sometimes we get big britches syndrome. Right? We think that we can do it all. And I think Peter had that. He overestimated himself and he underestimated the temptations he would find. The truth is that Peter, if you remember, he thought he was more committed than any of the other disciples. He thought he was the cat's meow, if you please. He felt like he loved the Lord more than anyone or anything else. And, but now, here's, get the imagery, guys. We have the fire, we have the fish and the bread, and here's Peter for the first time. We don't see Jesus speaking to Peter until now. He's face to face. We're post-denial, we're post-disobedience, Dripping wet because he jumped in the sea, now warming himself by the fire, he is face to face with his Lord. Peter is a broken man at this point. And so the breakfast, what I see is that if you read the story, you don't see anybody talking while they're eating. Jesus gives them the fish and the bread. He serves them just like he always would have served them. But then you see in verse 15, so when they had dined, he breaks the silence here in verse 15. And so his first question, I'll be real honest with you, Jesus' first question here in verse 15 would have no doubt been questioning Peter's loyalty. Because you remember, and guys, if you will, show Matthew 26, 33. I don't know if you have it. Matthew 26, 33. You remember, Peter had boasted of his commitment to the Lord before. Remember, he says, Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men should be offended because of thee, Yet will I never be offended. He overestimated himself and underestimated the temptation that was right before him. And he denies the Lord three times. And so verse 15, look back at verse 15. This is the first question in our text. And so it says, So when they had dined, Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he said unto him, feed my lambs. Now here's what I want you to know. First off, it's important that we understand the various words used in scripture for the word love. We see love in English and, we, and if we're not careful, what we do is we assume that the same word is being used over and over. And so what I want to do is I want you, every one of us, to understand the words that are used in scripture for love. 
And so let's go through them. Here they are. Now the phonetical spelling that I put out to the side is for me. Okay, so that I understand how to say the word. That's, if you want to write that down, that's fine. The first word is storge. Storge. This is the uh, term that actually refers to natural affection. It's the love that occurs within a family, i.e. a parent and a child, siblings, cousins, etc. And this, this love that takes place when the, within the family is what binds that family together. Who has not ever had a good Thanksgiving family dinner argument? But after the pumpkin pie, we're still family, right? We're still family. Anybody have uh, that cousin you just love to argue with? He rides in in his RV and decides he's going to stay till New Year's. His name is Eddie, Cousin Eddie. We all have a Cousin Eddie, if you please. And sir, if your name is Eddie, I still love you, all right? So we have storge love. Then we have phileo love. Phileo love is the love of a friendship. That's where we get the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly. That's where you get that idea. Phileo love. It's the love of a friendship. Love we have with our friends. Then we all have eros. Eros. Basically the idea of being in love or romantic love. Okay. Now the next one I want you to see, because I referenced it last summer in a message, is epithumia. Epithumia is really not a word for love, but it references strong desire, craving, and passion. Now, the thing with epithumia, it can be used in a positive sense. Remember, Jesus had a strong desire to eat the Passover with his disciples. That's the word epithumia. So it can be used in a positive sense, but it can also be used in a negative sense, i.e. with lust, to covet, to desire something that's inappropriate, or something that is forbidden, quite frankly. The epithumia of the fruit on the tree in the midst of the Garden of Eden. This, it, it can be used in a positive sense or a negative sense. But the word that is being introduced in this passage... Now, here's what I want you to know. Jesus actually used this word before here. When he teaches his disciples in John chapter 13, he washes their feet. Then he gets in John 14 and John 15. He is using this word agape... But they don't understand. Why don't they understand the word agape? Because agape was a new type of love. They would not have been familiar with this love. It's the love, quite frankly, of Jesus' actual coming to earth, his selflessly sacrificing himself on the cross, and it's a new concept of love. And what you find here, look back at uh, verse 15 just for a second. It says, so when they had dined, Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Now, he is actually using a derivative of agape. He is using the word that I have used before. He's using the word agapao. Agapao. And he's saying, have you made a full commitment? Are you completely convinced that I am who I say I am? And do you love me more than these? In verse 15. Now, someone has said that the best way to actually understand the word agape is to contrast it with eros love, okay? And so guys, let's contrast it with eros, okay? So eros, you see on the chart here, it's a love given by one person based on what he or she finds beautiful and desirable in another person in order to gain, in order to gain for himself 
or herself. My wife has Eros love for me. She is in it to gain for herself. I ask you to pray for her. <laughs> All right. Agape love. You know, you can have fun while you learn God's word, folks. You can actually have fun. Agape love, notice, it's a love that is given, here's the key, regardless regardless and often in spite of the merit of one who is being loved. So the reality is it doesn't matter what you do, Francis, we're going to love you. That's agape love. It doesn't matter what you say, I'm going to love you. It doesn't matter if you're my enemy, I'm going to love you. It doesn't matter if you talk behind my back, I'm going to love you. That's what agape love is. And this is what Jesus is asking Peter. He's asking him about this agape love. Now notice eros also is a love that desires to possess and gain for itself. And agape is a love that seeks to give itself. So when we talk about agape love, agape love is the love that God has for us that caused him to send his only begotten son for the world, for the sin of the world. Agape love is the love that we're supposed to have for God and others. Remember the first and great commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, with all of thy soul, with all of thy mind, with all of thy strength. And then the second is like unto it, love thy neighbor as thyself. So there's this agape love indication we're to have it for God and for others. Agape love, men, is the love that we're commanded to have for our wives. It's it, quite frankly, is in Ephesians 5.25, it's that love that we're commanded to have for our wives. Because see, in the picture of marriage, the women are to live for the husbands as the church is to live for, for Christ. But the men, as the, as the representative of Christ, is to love his wife in such a way that he agape loves his wife, that is willing to give himself for his wife and always act for her benefit. Everything Christ did, he did for the benefit of others. He didn't come to serve himself. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to be a minister to others. And so this is true of men, the agape love we're to have for our wives. Agape love is the love that Jesus was talking about when he was telling his disciples. He says, if a man love me, if he agape love me, he will keep my commands. Why? Because agape love is a love that seeks to give itself. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what a person says. It doesn't matter what a person does. Agape love is a love that chooses to love. Eros love is a love that is based on, what are you going to do for me? It's selfish. Eros love, in its nature, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I think we need to have all types of love. I want to have a romantic love for my wife, and I want my wife to have a romantic love for me. But I also want to have a, a, a storge love for my family. I want to have that phileo love, a brotherly love for friends and those that we come into contact with. But I also have to be learning as a Christ follower, I need to be growing, right? The Bible talks about a growth pattern in our lives. And that growth pattern, I believe, is important for us to learn to grow in this area of agape love. Now, that little commercial, back to the text. Look back at verse 15. Right? So when they had dined, Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he saith unto him, notice he answers in the affirmative. He says, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. 
And the love that he uses here, Jesus is saying, do you agapao me? And Peter is saying, I phileo you. He says, you know I love you as a brother. That's not what Jesus asked. But that's what Peter gives him the answer. He says, are you totally surrendered? Are you totally committed to me? Do you really love me with this love that seeks to give itself? And Peter says, no, I love you with a brotherly love. You know we're brothers. You know I love you, right? And so he says this, and then Jesus immediately says, feed my lambs. Not only is Jesus questioning Peter's loyalty, he's asking him here, guys, Peter, what is the level of your love? Where are you? Where, on, where are you on this love scale when it comes to me? And so, in essence, what Jesus is saying, and I'm, I mean, it's kind of strange to put it this way. He says, who do you love the most? Do you love me the most, or, you do, or do you love these? Now, a lot of people try to figure out, what does Jesus mean when he says these and a lot of snack shop theologians have pontificated over the years. And they say, well, he must be talking about, uh, do, do you love me more than you love uh, these other disciples? Or do you love me more than you love the fishing nets and the, and the boat and the fish? And, do, you know, this was your craft. This was your, this was your life before me. Do you love your old life more than you love me? We don't know. The reality is we weren't there. We don't know. And there's no... Uh, there's no uh, conclusive uh, text that tells us exactly what Jesus means, but I suggest that he's probably just saying, do you love me more than anything else? And he's asking me that question today. And if he's asking me that question, he's asking all of us the same question. He's saying from the very portals of heaven, as we look at the cross that's lit up behind me, he's saying, I loved you so much that I died for you. Do you love me more than anything else? Is what he's saying here in the text. And so the, the point is, Jesus is saying, I need you to agape love me. And Peter is saying, I phileo love you. Yes, Lord, you know I'm your friend. Well, hold on a second. Wasn't Peter the guy in John 13, 37 who said these words? He said, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. I will lay my life down for you. That's the same Peter we're talking about. Having been humbled, remember I think Peter's a broken man at this point. Having been humbled, Peter no longer pushes the envelope when it comes to his personal declaration of love. But he calls upon the Lord's omniscience to understand that, Lord, you know I love you. He says, yes, Lord, you know I'm calling upon your omniscience. I still believe that you're God. And if you're God, you have to know that I love you. The amazing thing that I see right here is that Jesus immediately restores Peter. Why? Show verse 15 again. At the very end of the verse, even though Peter doesn't answer with an agape love, Jesus immediately, by his amazing grace, by his mercy and his goodness, he restores Peter to active duty, if you please. He says, feed my lambs. Can I tell you that God does not call everybody to feed his lambs? The lambs were the most vulnerable of the Lord's sheep. We're talking about new believers. We're talking about children. We're talking about people who may have difficulty growing in their faith. And he's saying to Peter, he says, hey, I got a job for you. You're back in, you're back on active duty now. 
I need you to feed my lambs. And so we see that uh, this is how Jesus restores Peter. In his second question, notice verse 16. He says again to him, second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Agapeo, agapao there. He says, he says, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he saith unto him, this time he changes it slightly. He says, feed my sheep. That word feed is a different word than the feed in verse 15, which sometimes can be confusing when you see feed and feed. He's basically saying, now I not only want you to feed the, those that are the most vulnerable, I want you to shepherd my sheep. I want you to tend them. I want you to help guide the flock. I've got to go away to my father, and I need you to shepherd the flock. And so he's entrusting Peter and asking Peter to shepherd and oversee the flock and giving him total care of his, of his failures uh, over the flock despite his failures. Listen, here's the really cool thing. Despite my failures, despite my sinfulness, God is still saying to me today, Greg, you are useful. I can use you. That's what he told Peter. He says, you're still useful. I can use you. No matter if you denied me a hundred times, I still have a job for you. I want you to feed the lambs. Now I want you to shepherd the sheep. You are a useful part of my ministry. And then notice the third question. And here's where we'll kind of uh, sum things up and, and wrap our time up. The third question, Jesus changes his question slightly. Now remember, he's asked twice, do you agape love me? And Peter says, do you, he says, yes, Lord, you know I phileo love you. Notice verse number 17. And he saith unto him a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? But this time Jesus uses the word phileo. He brings the love meter down a little bit. He says, do you phileo love me? Now this would have grieved Peter's heart. And you see, that's what scripture says. Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto them, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. So this time he brings it down. He's asking him this question. A lot of people say, well, why was Peter grieved? How many times did Peter deny the Lord? And how many times does the Lord ask him, do you love me? I'm not in the numerology uh, in that I'm trying to make a spiritual equation here. But the reality is, the Lord asked him three times, do you love me? I'm guessing Peter recollects that he just denied the Lord three times. I'm guessing he recollects back at the Last Supper, you know, that Passover meal where the Lord said, you're gonna before the night's over, you're going to deny me three times. I'm guessing the number three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is pretty significant and Peter is thinking about what he had done before. And so we see, we see that playing out. But also I think Peter was grieving because he perceived that the Lord didn't believe him. He's, he's probably like, don't you believe me? I mean, you've asked me this question three times. And every time I've told you, yes, what's the problem, Lord? You keep on asking me if I love you. I'm guessing Peter's getting to the point where he's like, you must not believe me. I'm telling you, I love you. Well, what's interesting about this passage I was sharing with Travis yesterday is, notice in verse 17, Peter doesn't say yes. When the Lord says, lovest thou me? Peter does not answer in the affirmative. He answered yes in verse 15. He answers yes in verse 16. But here in verse 17, he immediately says, Lord, 
thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus says unto him, feed my sheep. So what's going on here? This is, this is why in-depth in Bible study is so important for everyone, not just for the pastor. It is so incredibly important because the word knowest and the word knowest that are back to back are different words. And so what you see is Peter says, Lord, thou knowest all things. He is calling out Jesus' omniscience. He says, you're God. You know everything. But then he turns around and he says, thou knowest that I love thee. What he is then saying, he says, I'm, I'm appealing to your deity as God that you love me, but I also want to appeal to your humanity. That word uh, knowest, the second time, is the word gnosko. Gnosko in the Greek. And it essentially means to learn to know. What Peter's saying, Lord, you know I love you. I'm the one who stepped out of the boat. Lord, you know I love you. It was me that cut off Malchus's ear in the garden. Lord, you know that I love you. It's me that's sticking my foot in my mouth every time I turn around. Lord, you know it, that I love you. I, I mean, how much more do I have to prove it? And so Peter's saying, I know that as God you know all things, but I also know that Jesus is the Son of Man, that you know that I love you based on our relationship. So the question becomes, we can say, Lord, you know all things omnisciently. But can we answer in the affirmative, Lord, based on our relationship, based on my relationship with you, Lord, you know I love you. Can you say that today? Because that's what Peter was saying. See, we like to knock Peter down to size a couple of times. But Peter, what he was saying was saying, Lord, Based on the relationship that I have with you, you know that I love you. Folks, like Peter, every one of us have failed. Anybody not failed? We've all failed. We've all come short of the glory of God. But the beautiful thing is that the Lord restored Peter into active service. And I want you to know that no matter what you've done yesterday or this morning or maybe 10 minutes before service started, God can still activate you back into active duty status. He wants you to be a servant for Him, for His honor and for His glory. If you'll just love Him. If you'll just love Him. If you'll put that agape love, if you'll start to grow in that agape love, He'll use you. L listen to this, 1 John. In 1 John 1, the Bible says this in verse number 8 and 9. This is a really cool passage. It says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now notice verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So by these two verses, we basically have two options today, right? We can say we have no sin or we can confess our sin. When we walk out of this room today, you can say, yeah, I heard the message, but I don't have any sin. I'm holier than thou. Problem. If you think you can walk out these doors right now and you think you have no sin and you're holier than thou, man, I'm going to beg you, humble yourself. Humble yourself. So we have the choice. We can either say we have no sin or John says you can confess your sin. And the one who hears you He's faithful. He's just. He's the one that can forgive you of all unrighteousness, right? And so here's the, here's the reality. Sin is terrible. 
It's a terrible thing. But it's not sin that constantly, continually blocks our service with the Lord. It's what we do with our sin. Do we confess our sin? Or do we just continue to be like, Oh, the grace of Jesus. And that's, it's actually the song is, Oh, the love of Jesus. But we like to just, Oh, the grace of Jesus. Man, I love grace too. But man, we shouldn't stomp on His grace by continuing to sin. Paul said that in Romans chapter 6. And so we have a choice here. Listen, 1 Peter 5, verse 6 says this. It says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. We will never admit our failures in sin until we humble ourselves. Until we humble ourselves, it won't do it. Remember how I had mentioned to you that in John 13, 37, Peter had previously said that he would lay down his life for the Lord's sake? Notice what verse 18 and 19 say. Because he's going to get his chance. See, I think the Lord remembers. See, Peter was boastful. He was prideful. He was, he was talking about his commitment as if he was more committed than anybody else. When he said, Lord, I'll lay down my life for you. Although people would be offended of you, I will never be offended of you. By the way, never's a long time. Right? Never's a long time. And he said these things. And in verse number 18, Jesus is saying, Hey, Peter, you remember back what you said? Bro, you're going to get your chance. Notice what he says. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest, but when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth. Notice what he's saying. He says, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, here's the good news. There's some good news for you, Peter. You're going to get your chance to die for me. And then what does he say? He says, Follow me. Follow me. This is, this is the good news that he gives him. The early church historian Eusebius and the early Christian author Tertullian both reported that Peter was indeed crucified. Tertullian stated that Peter was crucified by the Roman emperor Nero. And then Eusebius stated that Peter was crucified upside down at his own choice. He said he was unworthy to be crucified in the same manner that the Lord was crucified. And so they crucified him upside down. It was Tertullian who later would say, and maybe you've heard this quote, Tertullian that later said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And this was the death that Peter would die. The last thing Jesus said to Peter, there in verse number 19, he says it in verse 22 because, you know, Peter, he's always quick to put that foot right back in his mouth. Right after verse number 17, you know I love you, claiming, talking about the deity of Christ and the humanity of Christ. And then the Lord says, follow me. The very next thing, Peter says, hey, what about this guy following us? What about, what about this disciple who loves you? What about him? And then so Jesus tells him, hey, don't worry about him. I'll take care of him. You do what I've asked you to do. And then Jesus says to Peter once again in verse number 22, he says, follow me. You see, I believe Jesus had been, preparing, had been preparing Peter and the other disciples all along to understand what complete surrender looked like as well as this new kind of love. I had said this a couple weeks ago, and so I want to 
kind of say it to you as we close the message here. Jesus, the disciples, guys, the disciples would have understood no greater love hath this than a man lay down his life for his friends. Now, what they didn't understand was Jesus was using that word agape. He was speaking of an agape type of love, referencing what he would do. They would have understood that. But what Jesus was saying here, I want you to have a different type of love. Not a love that only lays itself down for a friend. I want you to understand the love that would lay its life down for an enemy. This is the love that I'm asking you to love me with, Peter. I'm asking you to love me with an agape love. An agape love that chooses to do what you normally wouldn't choose to do. A love that chooses to love others in dis despite who they are. Listen, Romans 5. Notice what the Bible says. Romans 5, verse, um, uh, what I say? Verse 5 to 10. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us, for when we were yet without strength. You see, an agape love reaches out to those with no strength. Notice what it goes on. It says, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then. Being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So what that passage, what Paul is saying to the church there, he's saying agape love reaches out to those with no strength. It reaches out to those that are ungodly. It reaches out to the sinner. It reaches out to the enemies of God. And this is what Jesus is saying to you and to me today. By the way, in John 13, all the way back, remember? Passover meal. Then Jesus gets up and he washes the disciples' feet. And then he leaves them with a final message at the, near the end, John 13, 34, and 35. Remember these words? He says, a new commandment. I'm going to give you something new to, to consider. He says, a new commandment I give unto you. That you love one another. Got news for you. That word love there is the word agapao. I'm asking you, I'm giving you a new commandment, Jesus said, that you have a love that is willing to die for your enemies. Now here's what he says. Watch it. He says, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if, keyword, you have agapao, love, for one another. So what Jesus is saying is to selflessly, sacrificially, completely give yourself over to something or someone. This is how the world will recognize you as my disciples. This is what the Lord is saying. So truly what we see is love is essential for life but it's so essential for our service to the Lord. I put down here there are three qualifications for life and three qualifications for serving the Lord. Do you want to know what they are? The first qualification for life and the first qualification for serving the Lord? Are you ready? Love. The second qualification for life, the second qualification for serving the Lord? 
You guessed it, love. The third qualification for life and the third qualification for serving the Lord, love. You see, first we love, then we serve. First we love, then we speak. First we love, then we lead. And so I ask the question, do you really love the Lord? Do you love him more than, now you fill in the blank for these. Do you love him most or is something else taking precedence or priority in your lives? Oh, here's a, here's a difficult question that I've had to wrestle with all week. How many of us would still follow Jesus if Jesus brought a verse 18 to us and said, hey, bro, I appreciate you guys telling me you love me. Here's how y'all were hanging out when you were young. But in just a little while, in about 40 years, it was for Peter. About 40 years later, in just a little while, you're going to die. And you're going to die, not a death that you choose, but a death that has already been predetermined for you. I wonder how many of us would still walk out of this place saying we love the Lord if we had really that idea that one day we would be cruelly executed for that love. Someone has rightly said these words, and I close. We follow, serve, and sacrifice for whatever we love the most. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so, little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. For the Bible tells me so. You know, Jesus loves you and me so much that he proved it. How much, how much do you love him? Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.